Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Suzette Kent, the Federal Chief Information Officer. Suzette, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. Good to talk to you, Jason. We're talking today because for the first time, there's a formal designation of uh, one of the shared service providers, the QSMO, the Quality Service Management Organization, by the way, which is one of my favorite acronyms in all of government right now. The QSMO designation was for the Homeland Security Department and for uh, cybersecurity services. So let me start there. What does that really mean for DHS and what can they start offering? Give me the sense why it being a formal designation matters. And I have to start with, I'm glad it's your favorite acronyms. That means maybe uh, it'll stay top of mind and, and you'll talk about it a lot. But we're excited too, because what the formal designation recognizes is it's a, a statement internally inside government, but also externally with our vendors that DHS is managing the marketplace for those specific you know, security services that were outlined. So it formalizes their role to ensure that the products and services that we use across the entire federal government in this space you know, not only meet standards, but they're part of a you know, customer-centric dialogue. And so it's important both for clarity, but also for pace because we can bring, you know, we expect that we'll be able to bring new services to the marketplace faster. We'll have visibility uh, to meeting standards and especially, you know, in this space and the the services that were identified, it's really important to the type of outcomes we want to drive in the federal government. When you talk about this idea of managing the marketplace for these specific areas, does that mean if I'm a vendor and I want to go sell to, you know, pick the agency EPA, for instance, I should start at DHS or I could start at EPA, but EPA may say, okay, we're going to bring DHS in for this conversation. Do we know how that's going to work yet? Agencies have different requirements, but this does say that the standards and the first place in looking at the the set of services that are needed should start with DHS. And if any of your listeners want to refresh themselves, you know, those things are on the shared services website That is part of the objective of quality service management offices is maintaining those standards. That doesn't mean that, you know, solution A, solution B, that they will choose it, but it's important that the visibility around what services are being selected, how they meet standards, and what that offering construct looks like is in alignment with how we look at that entire space. So it, it does create a different partnership, you know, with all of the agencies. And it, again, particularly in this space, it's effective and it fits with DHS's mission because you know they're already very, you know, active and you know doing providing leading guidance in these spaces. From your perspective, is this maybe modeled a little bit off of the CDM, where again DHS played that lead integrator role, worked with agencies and even in groups, brought the products to the agencies, created, you know, worked with GSA on an approved product list. Is that, is that the model we're kind of looking at here? Well, it, ha- it has some similarities. Um, and, and those similarities are in identifying, again, standards, very specific standards, and identifying capabilities that are important to have across the government. What's different maybe than CDM or, or maybe I should say what we've elevated in shared services 
is the role that all agencies play in providing customer feedback and the suite of products and services that are offered may make more differentiated than what we saw in CDM. There, there could be federally provided services, vendor provided services, agencies may could potentially use something um, in a full as a service model, or maybe they just use the technology or, or other components. So there's more flexibility in the consumption models that we're looking at for uh, shared services, but some of the concepts are similar. The oversight is also a, a little bit different. Um, there is a shared services governance board. There are sets of milestones that were part of their plans. And unlike, you know, some of the components of CDM, there's also a, a set of, you know, long-term roadmap objectives that came as part of the plan. I definitely want to talk more about the plan, but before I go there, is there any concern, and, and I think you kind of started to answer this, but let me see if you can put a finer point on this. Is there any concern on your end that creating DHS, if you will, at the center of these, of the standards of, of these services, could there be a bottleneck? If, if all of a sudden there's a cybersecurity threat or vulnerability that has to be patched right away and everything's got to go through DHS, is that a concern or is that not something that could happen because these are not something that we've got to get done today. It's, it's, a, it's more of the, the longer-term vision, though important, but longer-term. Let me deconstruct part of it a, a little bit. In this role as Quality Service Management Office, they are ensuring that the federally defined standards are represented in the products and services that are offered. There's a standards definition process that multiple agencies participate in. Um, it's managed you know, as part of the, um, you know, with GSA's government-wide, you know, policy process and shared service. So the defining of the standards and the constant maintenance of standards is something that is an all-of-government process. In, in the role as QSMO, it, it's, the, it's DHS's responsibility to ensure that those are reflected in the products and services. So we don't anticipate a bottleneck, uh, what we are hoping is that this construct will actually help ensure that when we do offer something in the marketplace, um, it has been fully vetted against those standards and agencies can move quickly and with confidence for that reason. So in the past where shared services has been a specific service, hey, I'm going to go to uh, the Justice Department to get a specific cyber set of cyber services, this may not come to that, this, this may just be, again, that's the, the real, the initial focus, at least the standardization of, of cybersecurity products of services. Do I have that correct? Let me make sure you're, I'm understanding your question. I think you were reflecting kind of in the past, there was, you were buying, you know, a thing. Right. And that was, that was kind of the only offering. Um, and what is intended under the quality, uh, under this construct is that there are multiple solution sets that you can buy in different ways. Now, that solution set may be smaller as we start and it may broaden, you know, as we learn. We're also looking at what's interesting and in the conversations with not just DHS, but with agencies, they want to buy differently. So in some cases, it may be a software product. In other cases, it may be software and other services, you know, that are linked with it. So the model under the QSMOs has much more flexibility than some of the things that we're currently offering today. 
Okay, that was kind of my point, right? So it's it's you're not just buying a service from Agency X. You 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 have a suite of things that meet these standards, and I think that's that's the key difference too. Right. You mentioned their long term plan. They submitted a five year plan. Was there anything in there that you can kind of go through a little bit that that said, okay, they're ready to be a formal designation? And and I'll say beyond the fact that you know Congress gave them some money. <laughs> Jason, I think the funding granted recognizes the importance of the initial services and the intent to move quickly. The the plan was around understanding the delivery model and the commitment of the operational body um, and the involvement with both the customer facing board and the way the involvement with what the business model will look like with agencies. There are multiple products that are on the roadmap. And I expect that we'll have, you know, dynamic decisions because what we think, you know, what we may think today, something else may become more important. You know, the VDP is a great example. That was something that a lot of agencies were already doing. They'd made some progress independently. But what we realized is to do that well, we needed a more comprehensive, cohesive approach so that, you know, we can kind of see that more centrally and we can share information and act more quickly. So, you know, well, and I hope your listeners do as well, that we've been on a stock maturation journey for many, many years. So acceleration, you know, of that as a standard is an important part of raising our overall, um, you know, improving our posture for cybersecurity across the federal government. And in fact, the SOC maturation came through in that risk report that OMB put out, I guess, in summer of 2018, where you you guys found that there was so much inconsistencies among agencies. Some were further ahead, some were further behind. And this is a perfect example of a whole rising tide lifts all boats. It's an example where we saw an opportunity to drive maturity and to make that that journey easier for agencies and the approach that DHS is using or that CIS is using for this specific area will, will help us fill those gaps more quickly than if every agency had to go it alone. We have to take a break. My guest is Suzette Kent, the Federal Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Suzette Kent, the Federal CIO. We have the formal designation. DHS has some money from Congress, all good things. What are their next steps? And then how? what is your role from the federal CIO's perspective in those next steps? How are you going to participate, oversee it, hold them accountable, whatever your role is? What, what are their next steps? And how is your office playing in that those next steps? They have some very uh, specific next steps to bring some existing products you know, under the umbrella, they're doing some things to address some of the areas where we saw gaps. So let me just say it that way. That was part of their plan. From an OMB, and I'll just say kind of CIO council, SSGB, you know, GSA, they're also, there, there are lots of, um, there's lots of support in the infrastructure that was created. The various councils, put people on the SSGB, so the Shared Services Governance Board that represents disciplines from across federal agencies and representatives from from many federal agencies. So they're the ones that are actually looking at uh, customer impact, customer expectations, and some, you know, feedback on uh, how well, you know, things are going. That'll be a little bit more as we start to roll out the services. You already mentioned, obviously, OMB has a critical partnership with CISA and making sure that we're 
funding and providing the oversight to make sure that there's progress that aligns with administration priorities and the agency expectations. Because another key part of, of the shared services is that, you know, agencies should be able to go to the QSMOs and have services on a certain timeline. And, and we want to make sure that, that those things are happening. And then, like I said, OGP is going to serve as the coordination point for how we manage the governance, ongoing updates to business standards. And then every single QSMO has a set of metrics that is part of their plan. Uh, so we'll also be uh, measuring how well they're meeting those metrics. There's also one other um, kind of, I'm talking about how we look at it from the kind of the outside and how we provide support. There's also another really important role in this whole thing, and that's the senior accountable point of contact for the agency. So every agency has a senior accountable official that is kind of their shared services person that is supposed to look at whether they operate one or they're consuming, they are the coordination point across their own agency. They're supposed to drive adoption of shared services, interactions and escalations and you know points that, that may have to do with consumption models or service or even new things that they want. So those leaders are critical as well. We've put an infrastructure in place to support agencies that are developing the QSMOs, but we also have the reciprocal side who are in charge of making sure adoption happens and we're getting good feedback from those who are being served. Was that the one maybe missing piece was the adoption? In previous attempts under shared services, whether cyber or financial or HR or whatever, there was that in some ways, okay, please, it's there. If you're interested, use it. If you're not, we get it. Is, is the fact is you have a point person, a belly button to push within each agency now who you can go to and say, hey, you guys just uh, bought some network management services. Did you go to the QSMO? Did you talk to DHS? Why didn't you do it? You have to do it for, you know, is that, is that the big difference you see? Um, it, it's part of the difference, but it, it's also, this is ensuring when agencies go into this relationship that it's two-sided. And that there is a, not only a requirement, you know, for dialogue that we have that existing feedback channel and the success of QSMOs is about the quality of products that are delivered, the products and services and the value that they're adding to agencies. So this senior accountable official is on point so that they have, you know, not only a view about what's going on at their agency, but what's coming what they're interested in and what that looks like for their agency so that we're ensuring the products and services that are delivered are going to meet that value, whether it's a business case, um, whether it's an outcome-based uh, set of activities or an efficiency play. And I imagine this person is not just someone for cyber, it's for HR, it's for finance, it's for the entire suite of shared services as they get formally designated. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, sorry, I should have made I should have made that point. The, the, the senior accountable um, point of contact is responsible for the whole shared services journey. So that's not just the new things that are lighting up. That's the services that currently exist. As a matter of fact, uh, they're currently giving us input on some of the uh, services that currently exist. They are also a conduit 
for those things that go into the development channel. So uh, it, as you may be familiar, there are also some other services that are currently in the examination phase as future potential shared services. So, so that individual has kind of, is the representative of the demand side and the result side for the agencies. One of the things that we've seen over the years with shared services is the money issue. Now, with DHS, obviously, it's a little different. Congress saw the need there and, and decided to to give them some funding. That's not necessarily always the case for other agencies. And then it's also the other piece that struggled is not just the funding, but the the pickup, the use. Do you get a sense that, and I know it's still on the early side, that the QSMO approach is going to be provide a different outcome than what we've seen in the past. And give me a sense of what makes it, why do you think it's different? Is it just we, you've learned lessons or, and you're applying those lessons or why? This model is definitely the outcome of many lessons learned in the past um, and industry best practices. You know, I know in some of my personal conversations with individuals, you know, in Congress and some of our industry players, it. It is an expectation in some of the cases where there's a large-scale common function with common standards that we want to drive a common experience, both for you know our internal mission-serving people or for some of those things that may have citizen-facing. You know, most of these are internal, but also that we're making you know best use of taxpayer funds you know you've seen the surveys where a lot of these services you know don't get the highest scores um but by making some of the adjustments that we have to the model and understanding best practices uh, we think this model is different in that it does not define you know a monolithic solution it has a commitment to not only being driven by standards, which which ties us closely to the expected outcomes, um, but ensuring that those standards move into solutions. And for agencies that have to consume these products, that that not only that's efficiency in the process, but also helps us, you know, when we're looking at what are the costs of you know getting these things done, and and, and that is the ultimate for many agencies of being able to put their discretionary dollars on things that are mission serving versus kind of mission support types of functions. We're, we've also been very, very careful around what the, what the consumer, meaning agency, but input channels are around the services they're receiving. And, you know, quite frankly, those have been some of the, the challenges in the past is that after, you know, something is up and going, if you don't continue to invest in that set of services and move with new capabilities and leverage new solutions that are in the market, the customer becomes dissatisfied, the services decrease, and that will cause them to, to look somewhere else. So, you know, try to address the entire life cycle, ensure that there's a voice, you know, for many, and that we have something that is going to ensure that we don't stop with a particular set of products and services, and then there's no further expansion, investment, or improvement uh, going forward. We have to take a break. My guest is Suzette Kent, the Federal Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Suzette Kent, the Federal CIO. We've talked a lot about cyber and the cyber accusmo, but you also have uh, initial designations for human resources, financial management, and grants, CUSMOs. Give me a sense of the update as much as you can on those. When should we expect a formal designation? Uh, I think beyond what the PMA said, which was 2020, which we're in the middle of, of course. Do you expect it later this summer, toward the fall? And then what needs to get done between now and then to get them to a formal designation, generally speaking? Every designation is on its own timeline. You know, the teams are, are, are doing different types of things, but we are hopeful for some designations soon in the HR and financial management space. You know, grants are still, you know, in the planning process. So, you know, I have some, I, I don't have a you know, statement on that, but, but I will, you know, make an, another comment. All these services are different as well. So, you know, some of them are, newer and it's easier to implement something that's new rather than deconstruct and remodel you know something that's been long-standing also some of them you know agencies are at different points of need so so we're also trying to uh, look at those things that you know agencies need the, the types of of services and capabilities that are in kind of the the, the near-term pipeline so I understand, obviously, the HR focus is around new pay, and, and GSA had made some awards. The Technology Modernization Fund had given some money to GSA for the new pay. Is there anything update you're able to give from your perspective of how that's going, and, and what should we expect from new pay in the coming weeks, months? We are in the development phase, and uh, and that is both standing up the solutions themselves based on the standards, configuration to the standards. Those are really robust dialogues and, and they're going on now. Specific agencies have also uh, are, are part of planning what their transition will look like. Um, and those are at different paces. Uh, obviously what's going on right now has, has put some disruption in that. But, you know, Jason, I'll, I'll use an example, something that's going on right now as part of COVID response that emphasized how desperately we need to move to, you know, more modern, more consistent ways to uh, pay federal employees. You know, right now operating with five providers. And as we've gone through this COVID situation, there have been some instances where some of the guidance and things, you know, allowed for different types of leave options. And we wanted to capture what employees were doing in a different way. We had to put those changes in, you know, five payroll systems and 127 time and attendance systems. That's not fast. You know, when you're trying to, especially in in an urgent situation like this, move quickly and have high fidelity of data, it's a complicated situation. And the, the real goal with that particular example I shared was to give ultimate fle- or to give more flexibilities to federal employees. And, you know, the more times we have to do that and the more complicated it is, you know, the, the harder it is to act quickly. So it was just another example or another emphasis, another proof point of, you know, what, uh, uh, what kind of capabilities we are looking forward to having in the future for every single agency, regardless of what kind of challenges we may have. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine you're talking about the emergency leave or the, there's a thing, a specific yep. name. Okay. Cause I know yep. we've had, we've gotten some yep. questions from readers from specifically social security administration as one example about 
hey, when's this going to be available? How's it going to work? And I imagine that part of the challenge is, is making those changes in all those systems and getting them done right and, and ensuring that they don't break anything else. It's just, it's a normal development process. And, you know, we, every agency reacts to new regulations and changes, you know, every time. But in situations where we have to do the same thing at the same time across multiple, you know, agencies, it just makes it more complex. We are just looking forward to, um, you know, the continued, you know, maturation, not only of the individual server, you know, not of just the formal designation processes, but the individual services that are offered, you know, by these agencies. Um, and, and I think we've had many proof points, whether it was some of the uh, shutdown related activities or whether it's been this response where we've seen the importance of, you know, common standards, quickly deployed capabilities and understanding the important relationships that agencies have, you know, with each other in delivery of services, you know, to American citizens. So, so this is an important part of our overall modernization journey. One last thing that just came to mind is, as you were talking through this, is there a measure of success that you will hold over, whether it's cybersecurity, Cusmo, or any of the others? Is it adoption? Is it use of standard products and services? How are you, what, what, what does success mean for you? Jason, I'm going to make a, a simple one because it's the same way that I look at any of the services that we deliver across, um, you know, across any of the agencies. It's the satisfaction of the person who's consuming the services. So yes, we have very specific metrics that are part of each of the QSMO plans, and there are actually some that are, you know, that will be made public. But the the real outcome that matters is that agencies like what they are getting. They are pleased with the services. They are improved services. They are they are a, an overall value add, and we can move much more quickly. And when you talk about the measurement of customer satisfaction, you guys, through the PMA, and, and you can find them now, look at those benchmarking studies. Is that how you'll measure, or is there a different way you'll measure? That's one way, uh, and that's one way kind of generally around the services. Um, there's other things that are specific to the individual components of the offerings inside the inside the services. But again, we have the shared services governance boards and we have the SAPOCs and we meet with the SAPOCs, you know, frequently. And they, they even give us feedback on, on the things that we're doing just around, you know, the operational sets of activities. So we've got multiple forums in, in which to, to get feedback that will continue to give us inform if we're on the right track. So qualitative and quantitative measures together. Excellent. Uh, Suzette, it's always a pleasure. Um, was there anything else you want to touch upon? Jason, I, I will just end with, you know, thank you for the time on this. We appreciate um, not only the, the actions with, you know, DHS in this designation, but the entire group that's working on shared services. They're kind of continuing this as mission continuity, even while many of the agencies that are, you know, in the pre-designation phase are some of our agencies that are most critical um, in this response effort, and they're doing a great job balancing, um, you know, both the response set of activities and things to, to continue us on, on this journey. So appreciative of the work that the teams have done. And 
it's it's uh, I look forward to talking to you when we get to the other designations and I know you're you're a historian and it, it's uh, it, it struck us as exciting that the uh, DHS designation was right at one year from the original um, signing of the memo so with that large apparatus lots of people involved all of government effort that we talked about you know that's now supported by you know artifacts people and website you know seeing that move from idea to real impact has is a, a testament to the great team that's working on this very well said uh suzette ken is the federal chief information officer suzette always a pleasure thank you so much for your time thank you jason We have to take a break. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. For this part of the show, we shift gears a little bit and talk about grants processing. My guest is Victoria Collin, the Office of Management and Budget's Chief of Management Controls and Assistance Branch in the Office of Federal Financial Management. First of all, Victoria, thanks so much for uh, taking the time. Uh, we're going to talk today a little bit about grants and the rewrite that OMB is proposing, the Title II of the CFR. Everyone goes, what is Title II of CFR? But you're going to tell us. So let's start with the very beginning. Why is OMB proposing the rewrite of the grants management, the grants uh, regulations? And this is, if I remember, the first one since 2013 or maybe even before that. To your first question of what is that, Title II of the CFR is where OMB puts our comprehensive guidance for managing federal grants, and then this guidance is implemented by all the grant-making agencies. So really, while there are a ton of different policies that obviously relate to specific grants across the government, this is the one kind of source of uniform guidance, as we like to call it, that applies to really all the grants all the time. And as you as you mentioned, we first issued Title II of the CFR back in 2013, And while there have been some minor revisions to the guidance over the years, this is really the first major update that we've done since then um, that's anywhere near this comprehensive. The guidance itself does call for a review every five years, so we've always intended on around this time doing a kind of comprehensive look through the guidance, and we're really delighted to be able to do it now. OMB issued back in February the initial kind of thoughts, the proposal around what, what the revisions would look like. Give me a sense of what are some of those major revisions. What should what should as as agencies read into this and begin to comment? What should they look out for? Give me some of the highlights. There were really three goals for doing this rewrite and three policy objectives we hope to accomplish. The first is to advance the president's management agenda's goal of more results-oriented accountability for federal grants. And you may have seen that come out in February of 2018. There are a couple different strategies associated with it. You can see all the details on performance.gov where we have our cross-agency priority goal laid out with all the details. Um, But there are a number of policy objectives that we're trying to advance that are kind of found throughout the guidance that taken together we hope will change the framework and really shift the balance where we know that grantees report spending about 40% of their time on compliance-related activities associated with managing grants. And we know that that's not the most efficient way to manage these taxpayer dollars. So really our goal, first and foremost, is to comb through the suite of guidance and find opportunities to shift that balance so that grantees can be truly focused on achieving the mission and uh, ultimately the purpose of their award. 
The second reason we undertook these changes is to implement a number of statutory requirements that have passed since the guidance was first released. One that I know people are paying particular attention to that recently passed is the GREAT Act, and we're really excited about that one because it also aims to do a number of things that would reduce administrative burden on recipients. So that's probably a big one, but there are a number of other statutory changes in there as well. And then the final is to make some of the key clarifications where, you know, over the years since the guidance passed, we've gotten a number of questions from grantees about areas where the guidance was unclear or it might have created administrative burden that was unintended. And so we took the opportunity to comb through and kind of clean up some of those technical nits that were inadvertently causing trouble. I want to go back to this piece that you mentioned at first, which is uh, grantees are spending about 40% of their time on compliance activities. Now, if they're spending their time, that means they're spending money. So a grant that's a million dollars, you know, maybe not $400,000 of it is spent on administrative, but it's a lot of time, a lot of effort. What are some of the ways that this rewrite is addressing that issue with uh, reducing compliance? It's a really tough nut to crack, and I think part of the reason why we have such an overwhelming focus on compliance requirements historically is because we actually haven't done a great job figuring out how to hold grantees responsible for actually achieving the outcome of the award. And so one of the areas where we really had to put some thinking in is to is to craft some language that actually gives us the tools and um, policies and controls in place to, to be more proactive about identifying the outcome goals, designing our programs accordingly, setting that up in the very beginning of the grant process from the time that we're issuing a notice of a funding announcement and following that through all the way the light the all the way through the life cycle of the award so that you know the notice of funding announcement has clear goals articulated and the reporting requirements are aligned to those goals and agencies are able to hold recipients accountable for achieving those goals and once we've done that we can give agencies much more flexibility to structure the terms and conditions of any given award based on the risk that may be associated with a particular recipient and based on that particular recipient's performance so the dream at a very high level is that one day there will be a world where for recipients who are low risk, who've demonstrated financial management competencies, and also who are high performing, that agencies can give those grant recipients an award where the terms and conditions are much more streamlined in order to enable them to focus their time and effort on achieving the mission and far less time on the compliance requirements that would otherwise be so distracting and burdensome. And I won't go into all of them right now, but there are actually a suite of changes kind of incrementally throughout the guidance that all taken together drive towards that goal. Perhaps the most prominent and noticeable of which is a new section on program design, which you would think that uh, grant making agencies take the time to design their programs intentionally, but there's actually never been any guidance about that in OMB guidance before. And so there's a new section in there that's complemented by proposed flexibilities about developing the terms and conditions awards that would hopefully start to kickstart that effort. You mentioned the GREAT Act. I can also see the Evidence-Based Policymaking Act having some influence on this. And then you mentioned, obviously, the President's Management Agenda. Is all of that kind of driving toward this nirvana that you outlined that maybe is three, five, ten years away, but getting grantees and agencies to think more about 
outcomes versus outputs? Is, is that the, the road you're on? Yes, that is absolutely the road we're on. That's absolutely the goal. And I mentioned a couple of examples of kind of the the way we're driving towards that focus more on outcomes of the award. And you're right that the GREAT Act is also a big part of that, as is the Foundations of Evidency-Making Policy Act. And we worked very closely with the colleagues who are implementing both to make sure that our guidance aligned with all the work that agencies are separately doing to establish learning agendas and have evidence officers and really make sure that they are aligning their grant-making activities to all of those strategic objectives. And at the same time, we know that a ton of administrative burden stems from the antiquated systems and the proliferation of systems that grantees are required to do to input all that data. And so we know that by implementing the GREAT Act and coming up with standards for grants reporting and being able to create updated, modernized digital tools that make use of those standards, we'll also be able to reduce a lot of the administrative burden associated with grants right now. You bring up one of my favorite topics, you know, shared services, which is something that we've seen over the years. We we started off with this idea of grants.gov back in the, you know, Bush administration when they talked about e-government. Uh, I know that the Obama folks and, and the Bush folks started down the path of a grants shared services. Does this also build on this, that concept, meaning you mentioned legacy systems and standards? Again, this is part of that path to get to a place that maybe grants.gov is, is a little better, is a little easier to use, is can lift that administrative burden off grantees and grant-making agencies. Yep, that's absolutely right. And you've, you've probably seen as part of the president's management agenda, in addition to our cap goal on results-oriented accountability for grants, we also have a cap goal number five on sharing quality services and grants is absolutely a part of that. So we've um, provided HHS, the Department of Health and Human Services, with an interim designation to be that quality service provider, building, of course, on their expertise and their work managing grants.gov. We're working with them very closely to understand what that role might look like and what sorts of services they could provide, at least in an initial sense, that would help to alleviate that burden. And then also, as you've probably seen, and it's up on performance.gov too, you know, OMB's been working probably for the past three years with HHS and others to think about what those initial standards might look like. And in October, we actually published our first round of standards for grants. So those are now up, and we're starting to think about how to implement them. And in fact, in the uniform guidance proposal, there is language that would require all of grant recipient reporting to align to those standards. So actually already moving forward on a number of the requirements that are in the GREAT Act um, that would help to achieve that mission of reducing recipient burden. It's good news to hear that you guys have published at least the first set of standards for, for grants. How different or how much changes did you did this group make as you guys worked on the standards from what had been the case? Again, I go back, you know, 8, 10, 12 years ago. Obviously, things changed, but it, was this standard is getting to standards easier because you had maybe that the this first step in, in the path? Getting to standards was easier and actually probably the biggest impact in that was having the experience of having implemented the Data Act under our belts. 
you know, the Data Act, as I'm sure you're familiar, where we started connecting our financial information to our award information on USA spending, really forced us to bring together a number of different communities across government, which had historically been operating in their separate silos, to agree on standards and then to think about how to implement those standards. And we were able to build on the lessons learned from that process to really establish a governance process and um, you know, a group of people who are able to come together and really have those conversations at a much more fundamental level, uh, looking at really the entire business process for grants. So starting at the very beginning, what are the functions of making a grant? What are the capabilities? What are the use cases? And then getting to what are the data elements that underpin that process. And they really took a blue sky approach. So they didn't say like, oh, HHS does it this way and DHS does it that way and can we meet in the middle? We really started with what should that standard be and what should it look like? And the great thing about it is that what they've published kind of incorporates all of that thinking, all of the standardization that's gone before, all of the Data Act work that's gone before, and and really is more forward-looking to look ahead to say, how, how should this be rationalized? How should it look in the future? And knowing that it will take some time for agencies to be able to update their processes to align to that, to fully implement it, but we think we're on a path now where we've gotten that agreement across the whole entire enterprise of government that, yes, this is how we want it to look going forward, and this is the streamlined vision that we're all marching towards. You probably thought my next question was coming, so thank you for almost answering it. What is the timeline to implement these standards? <laughs> did, did OMB give agencies any sort of, hey, by you know, end of fiscal 2020, we want this. By end of fiscal 2021, we want that. I mean, g- give me a sense. The more granular version of that question and the first, of course, kind of pressing deadline is the uniform guidance itself. We're also welcoming people to join our community of practice, which is up on performance.gov, which will be a place for continued stakeholder engagement and outreach around not just the uniform guidance, but also the continuing development of standards. We are hoping to finalize the uniform guidance by the end of 2020. We know that's an ambitious lift, and in part, our timing will depend on how many comments we get and how close it looks like we are to the finish line just based on the proposal. So we really will give that a meaningful evaluation and see if it looks like we're really close, we'll probably be able to finalize it quickly. If there's more work to do, we'll take the time to do that work that we need. That, of course, would finalize the requirement for agencies to align their work to the standards. As far as the timing for that to actually happen, we imagine it will take more time because agencies will have to update their systems as they have the need for that and as systems that align to the standards become available. So, again, we're actively working with HHS and other agencies to kind of try to better understand what that world might look like and how we get there from an implementation perspective. But we understand that it's going to take some time to make it actually happen. Victoria, this has been a great conversation and and I really appreciate your time here. So let me thank Victoria Collin, the OMB Chief of Management Controls and Assistance Branch in the Office of Federal Financial Management. Victoria, thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. Glad to be here. That's all the time we have for today. I'm Jason Miller and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.